Okay, hello everybody. Hello world. Hello internet land and hello to Danielle E. Gaines, an Annapolis, Maryland senior reporter for the Frederick News Post. How are you, Danielle? Hi, Colin. I'm good. Nice to be here. Nice to be here as well. We are doing this in full disclosure a day earlier than we normally do it. So yes, we should let people know that political it's notes. Thursday. Yes, it's Thursday. <laughs> and instead of talking about what was in political notes, hopefully we're going to talk about what you plan to put in political notes later on. I know a little bit, so we'll talk about that. Well, you have to know everything. That's, you're, you're, and I know you know everything. You know everything <laughs> about everything. Um, so the big story this week, of course, is the budget. Um, yes. And I feel like I could just say the word budget and then say go and then just shut up for 15 minutes. But uh, <laughs> if you want to if you want to start in on that, we can try to sift through this as best as possible. Sure. So the state budget um, was indeed finalized this week. Actually, both the operating budget and the capital budget were finalized this week. Um, they're two separate bills. They travel through the House and Senate chambers uh, separately, and they actually have different rules that apply to them. So in both cases, it's the governor who creates the budget, and then the General Assembly changes it up. Um, and the uh, operating budget passed first. That's a $43.6 billion budget. And um, there weren't a ton of surprises in it, but there were some amendments. And it's always these amendments that get added to the budget bill, which are very interesting. Um, because you can, you know, obviously amend the amounts uh, generally downwards according to the rules of the, of the state budgeting. Um, and you can also just add language that kind of changes how the money can be spent. You can specify that it has to go to a certain thing or um, that a certain amount is set aside pending like an agency report on some issue that the General Assembly is concerned about. Um, a portion of the Maryland State Police budget this year was uh, set aside so to ensure that the General Assembly would get an update on this process called the civilianization of certain positions within the police force. Um, so that's kind of common. And a couple of those um, language amendments caught my eye. And uh, they have to do with the state's um, planning secretary, Wendy Peters, and um, a plan to live stream the General Assembly sessions from Governor Larry Hogan. Two things we talked about ad nauseum so far this year. A lot, year. yeah. So uh, do you want to yeah. start with you want to start with Miss Peters? Sure. So we, we talked about this amendment when it first got added in by the Budget Conference Committee um, and what ended up uh, when it first got added in by the Senate, when it ended up coming out of the Budget Conference Committee, it actually went even further than what was added by the Senate. So what was originally in there um, made clear that uh, the lawmakers intended to stop uh, Secretary Peters' paycheck beginning July 1st, the start of the new fiscal year. That is, of course, the result of uh, the Senate Executive Nominations Committee uh, voting unfavorably on her nomination. Uh, the governor then withdrew her as the nominee, um, but then she actually just continued to work in the position. Um, if the unfavorable vote by the committee had come to the Senate floor, um, 
generally what the committee decides is honored on the Senate floor. So it's very likely that there would have been an unfavorable vote by, by the entire Senate that would have triggered an automatic termination from the position. Um, since the full Senate did not have the opportunity to act on her nomination because she was withdrawn, we were left in this kind of constitutionally murky space um, where it was clear what the intent and the will of the executive nominations committee was, but um, this person continued working in that job anyhow. Um, the Senate originally had language in there to, you know, essentially do the only other thing that they could, which is um, stop that individual's paycheck uh, in the new fiscal year. And uh, the Budget Conference Committee took what the Senate had originally included it in, took it a step farther. Um, the Conference Committee amendment makes clear that the salary could not go to anybody acting in any leadership position um, if they had previously received a uh, an unfavorable vote by the executive nominations committee so um, that would c effectively end her paycheck if she continues to work as either a deputy position which she had before or an assistant position or in an acting role so it's still to be seen what the governor's office intends to do with that position uh, you have a quote from uh, the spokeswoman from the governor, I think, Amelia. Yes. How do you pronounce that last name? Uh, Chassie. Chassie. Okay. It's, quote, this is yet another example of certain legislators purposefully singling out and bullying a qualified and dedicated public servant because they personally dislike her for some inexplicable reason. The entire episode is shameful, unquote. Uh, I know I asked you this last week, but if they're going to get rid of her pay what uh, you know what have has anybody talked to her what's next for her how does she what's her response to all of this well the governor's office is uh responding on her behalf at this point in time um you know she is a, a member of the upper level executive staff the cabinet level executive staff and it is really unclear still um you know just what exactly uh the governor intends to do with that position um, it is not super common that um, somebody would withdraw a candidate and then seek to put them in a position that they withdrew them from. Um, mm -hmm. Withdrawal generally means, you know, you don't think that person is right for the position any, any longer. Yeah. Um, so it's a kind of a wait and see game. I'm, you know, continuing to follow up check up on that but um it might be until you know late june before we know what's really going to happen wow and then it just comes around that sh they're not going to pay her anymore that that could just kind of happen come july 1st it could i i have a feeling we'll see some sort of movement before then okay okay and then live streaming which is something we've uh, i guess in my opinion spent an oddly inordinate amount of time on this year because live streaming feels like it's just you know live streaming it's cool you know we live stream people <laughs> eating sandwiches but it's uh it seems to have taken a turn here on the state level can can we get into this too it, the the subhead in your your story says live streaming is in limbo yeah, so um, we've talked about this a lot. This is the idea that the General Assembly floor sessions, so those sessions in the Senate and the House chambers, when the entire uh, bodies are there and debating and actually passing bills, um, this is a discussion about whether or not those um, sessions should be live streamed 
through a video feed. Right now, those are live streamed through audio, as we have discussed, and um, there are rules on the House and Senate floor where you cannot use a delegate or a senator's name. So um, we've talked about how, Colin, you might be the gentleman from Frederick or the gentleman from Frederick County or the gentleman from District 4 or (laughs) the gentleman from Urbana. Um, And (laughs) people listening at home perhaps don't know what all of that means you might know your person but if you know i said you know the gentle lady from district 21 you might not know who that is and that might take you a while to figure it out so the idea was that video broadcasting these would bring greater transparency allow people to see how things are working in in a more nuanced way than you can by just hearing the audio of what's going on um, Governor Hogan, of course, has uh, supported this for several years. Last year, um, there was a bill by one of the most conservative members in the House of Delegates and one of the most liberal members of the House of Delegates. They teamed up together to sponsor legislation that would have brought uh, video streaming. Um, and it didn't pass last year. This year, the governor included it in his budget. Um, the budget, again, was amended with this language um, that made the funding for that contingent at first upon passage of the governor's live streaming bill, um, which would have applied to all sessions of the General Assembly. Um, Then in the Senate, that got changed to the money being contingent on a bill from uh, Montgomery County Senator Nancy King that would um, have required filming of just the final two weeks of the General Assembly session. It also includes some things like the state of the state and the state of the judiciary, but the meat of it was recording the final two weeks of the General Assembly session. Um, That made it through the conference committee, so that is now what's in the bill. Um, If the bill SB 1034 passes through the House and the Senate, then that funding that the governor set aside would go towards that bill, which would have the um, Maryland Public Television broadcast those last two weeks. That, you know, was criticized. That bill was criticized on its own um, for just Mm -hmm. not going far enough. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that happens in the other, you know, um, whatever it is, 76 days of session outside from those last 14. So um, that's where it stands right now. That bill did pass the Senate. It has crossed over to the House. It was voted out of a House committee. And it's actually on the floor of the House, but debate on that has been postponed until um, a later date. It was postponed until today, and then I think it was postponed again. So we're just kind of, we'll have to wait and see when it comes up. Okay, so that might be next week even. Um, I, I think the debate potentially on the second reading of that bill will come tomorrow. Okay, um, Friday. But Friday. final passage would be on Monday, yeah. Okay. Okay, live streaming. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that that yeah. could be so divisive? Uh, Conference Center, a big, big news. Conference Center approved by conference committee. The new debt authorized in the capital budget includes $16 million in state grants for the downtown Frederick Hotel and conference center over the next three fiscal years. How do we feel about this? Can you get, bring us up to date? Sure, so I think we talked about this last week. Um, the funding for the Downtown Frederick Hotel and Conference Center emerged um, in the Senate version of the capital budget. The capital budget is, um, the capital budget bill kind of outlines the state's plans for taking on new debt, and uh, the new debt is 
at a level or around a little bit over one billion dollars hmm. um and uh, the hotel and conference center was included in the Senate version. It was then to be seen whether or not, um, you know, the budget conference committee would also accept that and move it into the final version that would go to the House and the Senate. Um, when bills go to conference committee, uh, the each chamber, you know, picks representatives to do the negotiating. On the budget bill, there's a greater number of people involved. There's um, five conferees and three advisors. On a regular bill, it's three conferees. Um, and so this group of 16 lawmakers sit in a room and they kind of add things, take things away, figure out where there's discrepancies between the two chambers and come out with a final version of the budget. When they come out with that final version, it's not subject to amendment on the on the floor, and it's a simple up or down vote on on what the conference decided. Um, so by the time something as you know large as a budget bill comes out of conference committee, it's m more or less going to get an affirmative vote in both chambers, and that is what happened. So the uh, capital budget bill has now gone to the governor for his signature. The operating budget takes effect as soon as it's passed by both chambers, um, the, the governor can't veto the budget bill. The governor can use his power of line item veto in the capital budget bill. So it remains to be seen whether or not the governor will, will actually remove that funding authorization from the capital budget bill. If he does that, um, under another crazy rule down here, the six day rule, um, he will, <laughs> he has to, um, veto or sign bills that are presented to his office with more than six days left in the General Assembly session, excluding the day in which they were brought to the governor's office and excluding Sundays. So he actually has until next Wednesday, I believe, possibly <laughs> Thursday, to um, either sign or veto these things. So we'll know next week whether or not he um, will use his power of line item veto on that project. If he does, the thinking in the General Assembly is that anything that he um, vetoes, the lawmakers will then have time over, that, over the last weekend of the General Assembly session, um, and on Monday itself, the very last day, they would have time to override his veto on any of these things if they felt necessary to do so. Has it made it this far before? It has. Last year, um, the appropriation was for the Downtown Hotel and Conference Center was put in initially by the Budget Conference Committee. It actually was not put in in either the House or the Senate version. It came out in the Budget Conference Committee. Um, and last year, I believe the uh, capital budget is one of several bills that were presented early to the governor to kind of force this in-session veto override if necessary. And um, if memory serves me correctly, he allowed the um, several bills to take effect just simply without his signature. So he didn't veto them, but he also didn't sign them. They just took effect. Ah, so this is there's still a long way to go. Yeah, we'll we'll know the gov where the governor stands on this soon. Republican members of the delegation are. Um, certainly planning on making contact with his office and making sure that his office knows that the Republican members of the Frederick County delegation oppose funding for that project. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, we'll keep an eye on that next week. Next week, we'll know where the governor, where the governor stands, I would assume. Correct. You, 
Correct. Just said yeah. that. So we'll we'll talk about that next week. Now we have to move on to what you dubbed so brilliantly a few weeks ago a brouhaha. So that yes, indeed. <laughs> and it's funny that that made our producer laugh right now, which was good. <laughs> Uh, so, and you, from what I understand, I actually didn't know this until we started taping that you, uh, you're cheating on this podcast and you went on another podcast. I did. <laughs> um, I discussed this bill extensively in the uncapped podcast uh-huh. last night, but sure I figured we could discuss it briefly as well today. I'm sure that makes Chris very, very happy. So, um, <laughs> amendments are flowing as Maryland lawmakers decide how to increase the number of barrels that breweries can pour for customers each year. With less than two weeks left in the 2017 General Assembly session, brewers are aiming to heavily amend a bill passed by the House of Delegates that would increase their barrel limits but curtail ours. Where do we sit with this now? Sure. So we're still, uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, kind of so-called competing bills in the House and the Senate that would deal with this. Um, the Senate bill did not move forward out of its committee. The House bill did ultimately move forward and it got passed by the House of Delegates. Um, it is a bill that does increase the barrel limit for Maryland's Class 5 breweries. There are 30 of them in the state, including a number in Frederick County. And it would allow them to increase the number of barrels of their own product that they sell in their tap rooms each year. Right now, Maryland has a very low limit on that, 500 barrels per year. And um, the bill in question, House Bill 1283, would increase that to up to 3,000 barrels. There's some crazy stuff. You ha- you're able to sell 2,000 very easily. For the last 1,000, you would have to first sell your own product to a wholesaler and then buy it back. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it increases up to a maximum of 3,000 barrels. It also... Um, would cut the hours that breweries were allowed to remain open, to have their tap rooms open. And that is part of what many breweries are upset about. They had uh, Originally, the bill had very early closing times, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's you know 9 p.m. Uh, Sunday through Thursday and 10 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. There are um, nine breweries in the state of Maryland that operate outside of that closing time right now, according to the Brewers Association of Maryland. So they want to see some amendments to the bill that would allow you know currently operating breweries to maintain the hours that they already have, which are set on a county-by-county basis right now rather than through a statewide piece of legislation Um, and the breweries also do want to see perhaps a higher barrel limit Um, there are a lot of different amendments and different issues going on uh, right now with that bill but um, the a Senate committee that's considering passage of that bill heard kind of opposing viewpoints on ways that it could be improved um, yesterday Uh, delegate Talmadge, Talmadge Branch. Yeah. I think that's how you pronounce it. It says, quote, this bill is an attempt to help the industry not hurt it at all. That seems so counterintuitive to how the industry feels right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, certainly. I mean, Maryland has this system where you have, um, you know, manufacturers, wholesalers, and retailers. And the question with brewery tap rooms um, has become whether or not they're entering a retail space by, um, you know, operating in in the same hours that a bar would operate. Um, and, you know, that's a question uh, that's 
important in Maryland because of the way that we operate in this state. Um, the breweries want to be open and serve their customers and offer tours and have people, um, you know, enjoying their product, enjoying an evening, and then have them go out and um, then, you know, buy um, a pint of that at their local bar or buy a six pack at their local, you know, corner store. Um, so there is this question of of what balance needs to be struck between a barrel limit hours and some other issues like um, contract brewing and we are running out of time aren't we there's only two weeks left i think for the well next week is the last full week so we have the rest of this week a full week next week and then Monday, monday the last day of session so this this is gonna april 10th this is gonna turn quickly one way or the other it will. Um, a number of members of the committee seem sympathetic to um, the breweries. People like breweries. They like to go to them. They like to have their you know, craft brews at home with them um, when they're out on their patios at night. The question just really is how to handle um, this growth industry through the set of laws that Maryland already has. Um, yeah. There were a lot of different proposals that came up uh, yesterday, one of them being um, an idea that both Um, Comptroller Peter Fancho and County Executive Jan Gardner shared, which is just that maybe a first step is just to increase the barrels for now Mm -hmm. and then come back and deal with all of these other issues um, through, you know, perhaps a longer um, report from a work group, uh, you know, that involves multiple industries and lawmakers and um, can really come out with like a fleshed out plan for this sort of thing next year. And this is all because of Guinness, right? Guinness does have plans to open um, a brewery in Baltimore County, and in order to open that brewery, they needed the barrel limit increased. Yeah. There was a Guinness-specific, Baltimore County-specific bill that was put forward. There was the thought that if they were going to um, expand the barrel limit in such um, a significant way, that other breweries uh, should be allowed to as well. There are a lot of breweries in Maryland who that have expansion plans right now, and um, the idea was to come up with a statewide bill that would affect everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Breweries did prefer a more simplistic version of this bill that really just did deal with barrel limits. That's the bill that's has not moved out of the Senate committee. Well, the position of me is I am pro Guinness at all costs, no matter what, if somebody could get me a Guinness right now, I'd be very happy. Well, Guinness, this, this bill that was before the Senate committee, the house bill, um, that's still surviving, so to speak during this session, um, Guinness has their own separate set of amendments that they would like to see as well. Um, give them everything they want. (laughs) They want to import this thing. I've never heard of it before called beer base. Ooh. Um, from from is it dublin yes Uh, (laughs) thanks they want to import beer base which is like unfinished beer and then they want to bring it here and make these kind of seasonal or specialty brews um from that and um one of the issues with the bill is that it has the phrase must be brewed entirely on the premises Uh so there's a question about in what ways could that potentially change because that also is where you get your issues with contract brewing 
So I think this will definitely be amended. Um, hmm. Senator Ron Young from Frederick County is the chairman of the Comptroller Issues Subcommittee within the Senate committee that's considering this. And um, he he wants to see a bill passed. Um, several of his colleagues want to see a bill passed. They want to see the House bill amended in some ways. So it's just a question of what amendments happen and how quickly they happen. Because this is, at this point, a bill that very likely is going to have to go through that um, conference committee process that we talked about earlier. Wait, this just in, Guinness is not going to send it from Dublin. It's going to be Tijuana. That's where Guinness is based. Tijuana, Mexico. That's, no, I'm I'm trying to get you to laugh, Danielle, and it's not working. Thanks, Colin. So we don't, it's not. The, most re- <laughs> the most readable thing in the newspaper every week is a political notes column that you write. We unfortunately are taping this on Thursday, which means it is not published, but could you give us a little taste of what will be in the paper uh, tomorrow? And by the time this goes out into the world, people will uh, people will have read the column. But tell me, please, tell me, because I will not be around to read it. Sure. I'm going to look a little bit into the uh, Maryland's Wim- Maryland Women's Caucus. Um, uh-huh. This is a group that we actually have talked about already this yeah. session. Yeah. Um, Delegate Carol Krim from Frederick County was um, announced to be a member of the uh, executive board of the caucus for the um, 2018 year. So um, she's on the executive board now, and I believe she'll remain on the executive board next year as well. And um, the caucus was recognized on the floor of the House of Delegates um, last Friday on Maryland Day. So um, it was a very interesting day. You know, the you came into the chamber and the doors were closed and everyone was seated except for there were no women or very few women Mm. um on the floor and the sergeant at arms announced you know um mr speaker the women of the house of delegates and there was all the door knocking and the door opening and all of the women filed into the chamber together and came up to the rostrum and took a photo um with the speaker of the house one member who was not um, among that group was Delegate Kathy Avzali from Frederick County. Um, Delegate Avzali told me that um, even though all women are um, suggested to be members of the Women's Caucus, she's actually um, proactively taken steps to um, not be a part of that. Um, she thinks that it's uh, that it's really a liberal agenda that the caucus focuses on. And... Um, they meet early in the morning and she said she's tortured she's tortured by the liberal agenda too much in annapolis she doesn't need to join a caucus to meet early in the morning to hear more of it <laughs> so i did talk to um some members of the caucus and some members of the executive board including another republican just to see how they feel about how the caucus operates and um what it does so we'll kind of look into that in political notes well we look forward to that uh we we really Thanks. really do uh and next week, uh, next week, what do we have coming up? It'll be the last full week that we can talk. I'm not quite sure if we've discussed uh, doing something at the end of the session. I would assume we will, but I. Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, final full week next, next week. week. Yeah, so there's some there's there's some big things still outstanding. Uh, one of them is the Maryland Trust Act. Um, that, of course, is the another bill that we've talked about here. It's a bill that would expand um, certain sanctuary um, type policies to um, places like churches, schools, um, courthouses across the state. 
And um, that's a bill that is under heavy amendment right now in the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee. Um, Senator Michael Huff from Frederick County, you'll remember, had a bill that was kind of in opposition to this, and they both were heard in the same day. Mm-hmm. Um, the Trust Act was passed out of the House of Delegates, um, but is facing a seemingly tighter vote in the Maryland Senate. Um, Maryland Senate President Mike Miller said this week that um, the Trust Act, as it was passed out of the House, will not pass in the Senate. Um, He said that, you know, he agrees that all citizens need to be protected, um, no matter how they got here from intrusive inquiries. But um, the bill, as it passed, is not going to pass the Senate. So Hmm. um, the Judicial Proceedings Committee has been meeting um, extensively, working through amendments on that. I sat through a couple, maybe about an hour of debate the other night, um, dealing with questions on how to change that bill. And um, it may be something that comes up in their committee meeting tonight as well. So I think we will either see that bill come forward to the Senate floor in a different form than it passed the House of Delegates next week, or um, it may just never make it out of that committee. It's, It's unclear right now. Well, I'm looking forward. Uh, on the amendments to that, all of the all of the votes so so far have been six to five among committee uh-huh. members. Ooh, that's close. Six to five. Yes. Six to five. We're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on that. I I'm excited to talk about that next week. Are you excited to talk about that next week? Yes. Yes. Good. I'll have a lot more information next week as well. What was the best thing that you had to eat? Um. Uh. I had noodles and company. <laughs> noodles and company. That's new. Yes. The thing that is Living great it up. about asking you this question each week is the fact that it's always different. You're very cognizant of making it different. And I appreciate that. I really do. Well, just for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Danielle. Um, we know you have to get back to work. I'm assuming this is going to be a late night for you uh, because it's um, a Thursday. They're starting to get to be late nights. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> well... We thank you so much for sitting down uh, with Silly Little Me, and we're going to do this again next week. We hope you have a good rest of the week, and I look forward to the final full week of the General Assembly. Thank you so much, Danielle E. Gaines. How can people follow you on Twitter? You can follow me on uh, at Danielle E. Gaines. It's a good follow. It's a good follow, people. Go follow her. Give her all the follows. We love you so much. Have a good time. Have a good night. Have a good day, wherever you are in Annapolis. We'll talk to you soon. You as well. Thanks, Colin. Goodbye. In Session is produced by Graham Cullen and Chris Sands. A special thanks goes to Kelsey Lewis for composing our theme. Be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes or Google Play so you can stay current with all the developments in Annapolis this session. Join us next week when we'll discuss the week that was in the General Assembly.